Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. many scientists believe that the brain did not change after childhood, that it was hardwired and fixed by the time we became adults. But recent advances in only the last decade now tell us that this is simply not true. The brain can and does change throughout our lives. It is adaptable, like plastic. Hence neuroscientists call this neuroplasticity. How does neuroplasticity work? If you think of your brain as a dynamic, connected power grid, there are billions of pathways or roads lighting up every time you think, feel, or do something. Some of these roads are well-traveled. These are our habits, our established ways of thinking, feeling, and doing. Every time we think in a certain way, practice a particular task, or feel a specific emotion, we strengthen this road. It becomes easier for our brains to travel this pathway. Say we think about something differently, learn a new task or choose a different emotion. We start carving out a new road. If we keep traveling that road, our brains begin to use this pathway more and this new way of thinking, feeling or doing becomes second nature. The old pathway gets used less and less and weakens. This process of rewiring your brain by forming new connections and weakening old ones is neuroplasticity in action. The good news is that we all have the ability to learn and change by rewiring our brains. If you have ever changed a bad habit or thought about something differently, you have carved a new pathway in your brain and experienced neuroplasticity firsthand. With repeated and directed attention towards your desired change, you can rewire your brain. Good morning church, how are we doing today? Great, great, great. Take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. We're going to go to work today. Philippians chapter 1. We're actually going to do a survey out of the book of Philippians as we talk about retraining your brain to learn how to think a different way. We're in a series called Rewired. And after our first message a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a lady contact me and she said, Pastor Phil, this is awesome. This is exactly where I'm at. This is exactly what I'm trying to do right now. But I've learned something. It's really really hard. How do I do this? How are we supposed to? I know what I'm supposed to do. How do I do it? And I wrote back to her and I said, good news for you. The next time I preach, that's exactly what we're going to be focusing on because it took 2,000 years for science to catch up with Paul on this whole idea of neuroplasticity. It's basically this idea of regrooving your brain. I remember a number of years ago, had a, a counselor share with me a little bit about how the brain thinks. And he said, um, when you, when you, imagine this, that when you get into a, a pattern of thought, it can be good pattern, bad pattern, it can be something that happened in your life, it can be an abuse, it can be a lot of things in your life. 
Think of a record on, on or an album for a record player, and those are becoming kind of in vogue again, so I assume you know what a record is. There are grooves on a record, and he said, now imagine that you get into this groove, and that groove becomes a part of who you are. When you are thinking or need to think in a different way, you've got you've to develop a new groove. And when you develop the new groove, it takes a little while in order for that to become the new normal pattern of your mind. But he said, you can do that. In fact, what's interesting, 2017, University of Alabama, scientists found that there's a little seahorse port part of your brain, looks like a seahorse, and they found that you can't just do something one time, but over and over again, as you think a different way, it changes the neurons or the neural pathways. And again, I, I don't know all the science. I know this. All truth is God's truth. And Paul taught us 2,000 years ago, do not long, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the rewiring, the remaking of your mind. And that's what we're going to learn about today. So if you take your Bibles, we're going to read a number of scriptures because I want to give them to you more as like an entire... By the way, if you have not recently read through the book of Philippians, Paul wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, and he was... Many believe this was was one of the last letters that he wrote, certainly the last time he was in prison. He was under the constant threat of death. He was under, he was completely at the mercy of believers who were outside the prison system to bring him his meals, to bring him clothing, to bring him anything that would bring him comfort. He was absolutely reliant on outside-in participation. And he writes one of the most encouraging, challenging books of the New Testament. I read through it at least twice a year in its entirety, take you less than 30 minutes, and I just allow it to challenge me and redirect, especially when my brain's starting to get into a funk or if I start getting into a negative attitude. I always try to remember what it is that Paul taught me in the book of Philippians. So if you go to chapter 1, chapter 1, be ready to jump to a couple of passages. Chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Notice what he says there, consider others. Say that with me, would you? Consider others. He says each of you should look out not only after your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let me read it to you the way it's written in the original language. Let this mind be in you that also is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Man, I just was thinking of a great Christmas gift. 
I should get a poster made of that. I'll bet you I'd sell a thousand to our families, right? Hang them up in your, in, your, in your homes. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, and I assume sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Now within those verses, and we'll add in a few more as we make our way down through these passages, we learn some very practical keys of how to retrain the brain, how to think differently. But I want to give you two introductory concepts about attitude, the way we think that we need to understand, and frankly, you've got to accept or you'll never go on this journey. The first one is simply this, the way that you think is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. He gives you a very specific challenge in chapter 2, verse 5, when he says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Later on, he ties it in again when he says do everything Without complaining or arguing, that word complain means to basically gripe to God, and, and arguing means to gripe at others. So he just basically says whether you're griping to God or griping at others, he says don't do it because you want to shine like stars in the universe and to live a pure and holy life. And all you have to do is just do a very modest survey of Scripture to understand that God cares about the way that you think. And if you don't understand that, if you don't realize that's a spiritual issue, because so many times in our life we just say, well, that's just the way I am, that's the way I was taught, that's the way I was raised, it's just how it is, and some people see you know, the glass half empty, and some people see the glass half full, some people see it just as another dish they have to wash, but if you're that individual, understand that when you look at the Old Testament, Dan did a lot, great job last week. At just giving, I wanted so bad to tag team this week, but I knew this is where we were going this week. But I wanted so bad to add on to that because he did such a great job of showing how God looked at the pattern of thought that the Israelites had and he was displeased with it. And understand that. In fact, it's not about pessimism versus optimism because, frankly, people all over the place are optimistic and pessimistic. I like to say it's faith-filled or hopeless. There's a spiritual component to it and God wants us to be people who are faith-filled rather than hopeless individuals. Number two, you got to accept the fact you have a choice. And you have a choice whether or not you are going to, you're going to agree with the Spirit of God's work in your life, that you're going to come alongside, you're going to partner with Him or not. Notice what he says uh, if you take a look at the, the Greek in that passage where he says, let this mind be in you. It infers that you actually have a choice whether or not this mind is going to be in you. 
So many times in our Christian walk, um, and I want to be really cautious because I, 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 I don't think it was done on purpose, but I want to make sure we did not communicate something to you in the first couple of weeks. This is not about you just trying harder. Okay, the Christian life is not simply about you just trying harder to see a change take place in your life because all of us have tried harder and all of us have failed at trying harder. But when you come to Christ, the Spirit of God is planted within you and the seed of transformation is now planted. Now you can water that seed, you can agree with that seed, you can, you can partner in that seed, you can cooperate with the Spirit, or you can resist what God wants to do in your life, and you have a way of being able to thwart that transformation in your life. But you've got to nurture that. When Paul says a little bit later in chapter 2, he says, work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation, but you need to put this stuff into practice in your life. And so just as we can resist the Spirit of God, Right? We can harden our hearts, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2. We can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. We had a message on this earlier this year. Just as we can resist the Spirit, so we can cooperate with the Spirit. And it's our choice whether we cooperate or not. And it'll make all the difference in how we think and how we live. So let's get into it. Five quickies, okay? We're going to go five practical ways to retrain your brain. Number one, confess it. And I know that sounds super spiritual, but here's what I mean. You have got to acknowledge whether or not the patterns of your thoughts are inside or outside of the way that God wants you to think. And by the way, one of the ways you know that is just simply by being in the Word of God. Just knowing what God's standards are. But if you don't acknowledge that anything outside of God's will is sin, then you're going to have a really hard time acknowledging that the pattern of my thoughts is not just hard and harmful, it's actually sinful. Do you realize that worry to the point of worrying about my life, that's actually a sin? Now, we oftentimes will struggle with it, but the fact is it's very normal, it's very natural to struggle with that stuff, but it is sinful, just like lust is sinful, just like anything that is outside of the way God wants me to think can become sinful. So I need to acknowledge that, and it doesn't mean I need to be in misery over that, but I do need to be broken about it and say, Lord, I realize I'm not thinking the way you want me to. When I hold on to old hurts, to the point where they become bitter roots in my life and they take up residence in who I am. And I am focusing on the old. By the way, we go through it. Many of these things come from our childhood. They can come from abuses. They can come from former relationships. But understanding that when I am spending my time thinking about that person and holding on to bitterness toward that person, that actually is a spiritual issue and I need to acknowledge it and own it and confess it before God. Because until I confess it, I'll never see a need to do anything different in the way that I think. I confess it, number one. Number two, then I focus it. And I focus where my mind is going to give its attention. Now, notice what he says in this passage. I love it. He says in chapter 2, and in fact, I, I only named a couple of them, but he actually, Paul does this throughout the entire book of Philippians. Um, in Philippians, and the church of Philippi is not a perfect group of people. Okay, they're not. 
There's some arguing going on among some of the folks in the church in chapter 4. So much so that Paul says you need to help these individuals get along. He says a little bit later in chapter 4, he says, you know, there was a time that I was in need and it would have been, <laughs> he, he's, I don't think he's being sarcastic, but he kind of lets them know, hey, it would have been really nice had somebody showing up and helped me out. But it's okay. I've learned how to do with and I've learned how to do without. They're not perfect. They are not the perfect church. Because in order to have the perfect church, you've got to have perfect people. I don't know about you, but the person next to you ain't perfect. Okay? They're not. They're not perfect. And it's okay because you're not either. And so the fact is, we're always going to have some areas where we're not perfect. But notice what Paul does. Chapter 1, verse... Um, right here. Here's what he says. He goes, I thank my God. Verse 3. I thank my God... Every time I remember you. Think about the people in your life that sometimes you have a hard time thanking God for. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. Notice what he says. Every time, all my prayers. And folks, we don't do anything always unless we choose to always do it right? You don't naturally, you don't always feel in a good mood. You don't always feel like you have joy. Uh, Mike, I love you, buddy. Mike Wormlinger, you're a great friend of mine, but you know, I, I, there have probably been some times in my life that you rubbed me the wrong way. I can't think of one right now, but that's okay. Uh, you and Jenny love each other, right? You're married, you're to, but I'm guessing at times you haven't always, you know, there have been times, don't have to acknowledge it, but there have been times can you imagine always celebrating your wife and always celebrating your husband? See, when you begin to make the choice to always do that, to, what does he say? I'm going to rejoice. It means I'm going to celebrate joy again. Imagine how that changes the way that the two of you feel toward one another when you are acknowledging the positives and focusing on the blessing rather than the curses. Imagine that in all of our lives, when we look at situations, when we focus on what God's blessing is rather than the curses and the negative of it, it has a way of lifting where our brain is going to live. And Paul could do this because he had the right view of eternity, he had the right perspective of who God is, and he had a right view of himself and others. And because of that, he could choose to focus on the joy and the wholesomeness rather than the negative. Now this may sound like Pollyanna, and if you want to call it Pollyanna, that's fine. But the fact is, is that when you choose to focus in on the positives rather than negatives, you'll find your spirit will lift. Oftentimes when couples come in and we do counseling, especially when they've been married for a number of years, what they often have done is just simply forgotten what it is that brought joy and attracted to them in the first place. In fact, when I sit down with couples that are going to get married, I always ask them, uh, I ask them to take a look at each other and then I just say, okay, um, why him? I mean, of all the guys in the world, why would you choose to spend the rest of your life with this guy? And what I want to hear from them is not just that he's cute as the Dickens or you know, he's really sweet. And, but I want to see, and then I'll start asking him things like, um, what is it about him that you hope someday your children will get? And then I'll do the same thing. And what I'm listening for is more than simply they're incredibly good looking. Although 
that's great, but what is it besides that? And so oftentimes, years later, what I'll do with couples is say, hey, I want you to sit down. I just want you to tell me what was it that attracted you in the first place to this person? Well, you know, they were really sweet, or they were really good, or he was really responsible, or I really loved how they did this, or I loved how they did this. And sometimes we just need to remember that that person is still that person and choose to celebrate that. It's amazing when you focus and refocus and refocus how that impacts the way you think about something. Number three, you got to fill your brain. And you got to fill your brain with the stuff that's going to, if you want something good to come out of your brain, you better put the right stuff in it. Right? Milk does the body good, right? Well, these things do the body good, Paul says. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think of the opposite of those things. Something that is impure something that is not lovely, something that is not worthy to be admired, something that is false. He says when you, folk, when you fill your mind with things that are wholesome, that are godly, that are going to bring the right, it's amazing how when you fill it, the fuel has a way of impacting what comes out of your life. And there are so many areas that this can apply to. I put down four or five of them, for example. Am I filling my life with God's Word? And I know that sounds cliche, but i got to be honest with you. How do I know what God's standard is and how He wants me to think if I never read God's Word? You know one that's really been getting me lately? Um, I've been in the Psalms a lot. And I study the Bible a lot, but lately I have been just marinating in the Psalms. The Psalms is... I, I, the Psalms are something that I read and then I study and then I read and it just kind of marinate in it, okay? I have to be in it for a little while before it really penetrates. Something has caught me. It's a pattern in the first 35, 40 uh, Psalms when David, quite often David will say something like this. Lord, contend with those who have wronged me without cause. Lord, deal with those who have attacked me without reason. Lord, those who desire to take my life without cause. And you know what caught me? How often David says, without cause. And the challenge for me has been, am I always without cause? Are there times that people see me in a certain way and do they have a right to see me that way? In fact, David says something that becomes very challenging. Deal with me, Lord, according to my integrity and character. Would you have the guts to pray that? And so when I fill my life with the things that challenge, it aligns me not only that, music, right? Friendships. Do not be deceived, Paul says. Bad company corrupts good character. If you ever want to know how important it is to have people who are not only positive influences in your life, but who have a right focus toward things. And by the way, 
Not every believer is a good person to have in your life. If they're going to be a person who is constantly negative or constantly looking at a complaint or constantly, hey, it, it doesn't matter if they're believer or non-believer. Sometimes you just need to be around some folks who tend to pull you up rather than pull you down. So who are my friendships? What's my entertainment? Paul says, I don't want any hint of sexual immorality or coarse joking or that which is obscene. Why? Because that's what creates obsceneness. Even, even, even the things I choose to focus on from the past, the, the things that I'm rewinding in my life. See, here's the deal. If there's a groove and a pattern of thought and it doesn't matter if it's true if it's harmful for you to constantly focus on it, it becomes an unhealthy thing to focus on, a past wound or a past hurt or maybe your own past failure. And when you focus on that all the time, only you can control where it is that you keep rewinding in your life. And if you're constantly rewinding a slight or a wound or a hurt or your own failure, and that's all your focus, you're the only person that can say, I'm not going to push that anymore, and you, you're probably never going to forget it, but you can choose not to remember it all the time. You've got to decide what you're going to fill your life with. So I'm going to own it, I'm going to confess it, I'm going to focus, I'm going to fill my mind with the things that bring honor to God and bring about the right wholesomeness in my life. And then I'm going to, what's the next one? Got to look up there, can't remember what it is. I'm going to filter it. And filter means that I'm going to redirect course as necessary. Now, this is important because you're going to notice six times in this passage that Paul says, consider. He says, consider others better than yourselves. In chapter 3, verse 7, he says, he says whatever was to my profit, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. I consider them all rubbish. And the word consider means to make a conscious choice to regard or view something as though it were. Think through that. It is making a conscious choice to regard or view something as though it were. So what I'm doing is I am not just focusing on what to think about. I am actually choosing how I'm going to think about it. Now this is, this is important because an accident is a horrific thing. But let's just say you came through that accident and were spared. Then instead of looking at the loss of the accident, I look at the positiveness that a life was spared. I realize that that can be very hard when you're going through incredible crisis or where there has been detrimental. Or, but, but look at what, how many times does Paul say, even in this whole thing of suffering, I understand something, it's producing perseverance in me. And perseverance is producing character. And so that's how Paul is able to say that for those who love the Lord... All things can work together for good, even things that we could have never imagined. And that doesn't mean we're 
being, again, unrealistic when we're saying, oh, that was great. No, it was hard, and it was painful, and prison chains were horrific. But Paul was looking at what God was doing through that. He was filtering it through that lens. And this takes some training. I like to, uh, I like to hunt, but I like to bow hunt. I enjoy hunting with a bow. And every year I got to kind of get back into the groove again, make sure I'm, you know, hitting right. And this year, I, was, I don't know why I was late. I mean, good grief, it was COVID. I should have been out there in April, but I wasn't. I, it was about early August. I got my bow out, made sure everything was okay on it. Got my practice arrows out, and I, I got back from the target, got my target out in the backyard, and stood about 25 yards away. Man, I, I don't know what happened. That bow got a lot harder to pull back during the wintertime. And I was, oh, man, holy cow, who tightened this thing down? And, eh. I'm glad I was 25 yards away. Let's just say that. I pulled, I shot maybe six or seven arrows and boom, 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 boom. I was all over the place, you know, and if you don't know, you really, at that, you should, boom, boom, boom. They all should all be pretty close. Man, I couldn't, for a couple days, I couldn't take more than seven or eight shots. But I know something, and that is, is that for the next two weeks, if I just go out every day, anywhere from six to 12 arrows, I just, I I started shooting out of my garage, because it was raining outside. I put a, I put a target in the front yard, um, and I just shot at the target from my freezer. That's 25 yards. Oh, by the way, you've got to be kind of careful because you do, every once in a while you can let an arrow fly across the road. Not that I did that. I always listen for traffic. Boom! But after two weeks, I was shooting 15, 18 arrows. So I backed up 35 yards. Within a day or two, pretty good. 40 yards. Last week, Pastor Ryan came over on Sunday afternoon just for kicks. 55 yards. Couldn't believe it. I was so impressed. He was really impressed. And you develop if you're consistent, you develop muscle memory. And your brain is a muscle. And if you will consistently, now by the way, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. So you got to practice the right things, right? But it's amazing that over time that as we practice what God has called us to, even in the way we think, it changes, it changes our life. Which leads me to number five. It started with a spiritual decision. It's going to end with a spiritual decision. you got to surrender it. This is not just you trying harder because I guarantee what you try in your own strength spiritually is going to result in frustration. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. I cannot love that person in my own strength, but God's calling me to look at that person with love even though they are considered my enemy, so to speak, but I'm going to look at them with love. May keep a distance, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
There's an addiction in my life which just seems like it owns me. And yes, I can practice and practice, but it just seems like it constantly is a battle. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have this negative spirit that creeps in on me. I'm, I'm overcome by worry and fear. It, I'm, I'm absolutely consumed with the chaos in the world around me. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I want you to think of the thing you battle with right now. A past, a wound, a person. And on the count of three, I want you to say with me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I could never love or forgive or wipe out that feeling by my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you keep your eyes closed, I just want to read to you the words of C.S. Lewis from over 50 years ago. It says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. If you take your whole life with all of your innumerable choices along with your life, lifelong, if you do this all your life, you are slowly turning this central thing into either a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Into a creature that is in harmony with God and others and yourself or is in a state of hostility with God and others and yourself. Each of us at this moment is progressing to one state or the other. And I guess as the Spirit of the living God speaks to you today, I wonder which one are you progressing toward? One that is at peace with God or one that is constantly warring with Him? One that is at peace with yourself and others or one that is constantly hostile? Spirit of the living God, I'm so grateful that you not only call me to holiness, but you're able to do the work of holiness in me. I'm so grateful that you not only rescue me, but you, you call me into living free and rescued in you. You're able to change the patterns of my thoughts. You're able to break addictions. You're able, you're able to repair that which is broken. You're able to take old wounds and not maybe take away the memory, but Father, you are certainly able to take the sting out of that memory. You did it for Joseph. When his son Manasseh was born, he named him by the word that meant to take the pain out of suffering. You're able, Lord, to do increasingly more than what we could ever hope or imagine. And so, Lord, do that work in me. And Spirit of the living God, I want to cooperate with the seed that you've planted within me this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.